0: Hello, we're glad you joined us for Stand Up, Be Heard, the podcast. At Ford's Theater, we believe in the power of storytelling and using our voices. On this podcast, you'll hear student voices and perspectives about issues that are important to them. We invite you to open up, check any biases, and hear what they have to say. is Avery LeBlanc, and this podcast is about true crime, more specifically the psychology and brain anatomy of a killer. We will explore both the psychologic and crime aspects in our podcast. If all goes well, we will have the opportunity to interview a woman who is married to a killer in our third episode, so stay tuned. For this episode, we are going to have one interviewee, Mrs. Kenny, our school psychology teacher. We started off the episode by asking why true crime is so appealing to a number of audiences.
1: Well, kind of like when you see an accident, right, on the street and all, we all rubberneck, right? There's, so there's there's that kind of appeal, and then our love to be scared. Think of like how many scary movies have been like remade. There is something about that love of being scared.
0: We asked Mrs. Kenny her opinion. Some people believe a killer is made, but others believe that they are born. We asked her if she thought psychology could really be changed like that, or was it always like that?
1: All serial killers do have something going on in their lives. Like even Ted Bundy, who claimed to have this healthy, normal life, he did not. I mean, his- the woman that raised him that was supposedly his mother was not his mother. It was his grandmother, right? And so his sister actually was his mother. And his grandfather might also be his father, so the the, the theory is, is that his- Right, his grandfather, his mom's dad raped her as a child. Right, she got raped by her dad, and so then, and then Ted Bundy was was born and all that. And even when meeting like his his grandmother slash mom and all that, detectives were really concerned by her behavior kind of too. And when you look into right some of um, like whether it be Dahmer and all that, there's all there's always trauma and everything, and so. Um, it is interesting for too. Like when you're looking at a kid who is born with a really um, like a, a kind of I don't know finicky or ill temperament and all of that. Lots of studies have been done that if um, parents are especially the mothers are kind of trained and how to have like sensitive close relationships with the babies, then it flips over and becomes nurture. Right? They then it's environment. They then change their temperament and all of that. But a child is like that, and then never has that different environment. Then they're gonna stay that way. So to this day, there's there's an, almost everything. There's kind of that black, that that big fight between nature um, versus nurture. But almost all ser- serial killers, they don't come from a good home. You know what I mean? So even if their brain, that's that's been the interesting thing. Which one came first, the chicken or the egg? Like are their brains that way because they? were in an environment and they slowly became that way right like even Einstein like if you play a musical instrument when they dissect your brain they can tell what instrument you play so Einstein played the violin and it's like because the brain is a muscle so if you work it out right like it shows it's different and all of that so there you go too with if they're kind of growing up in these households and all that then is that affecting their brain and the way the neurons fire it's an interesting
0: decades, scientists have explored the minds of criminals, trying to understand what makes a person commit a violent act.
1: They lack gray matter. And gray matter is kind of interesting. Like Einstein had an excessive amount of gray matter, right? So there's a flip of it and everything. And so um, it, it's especially it's in the frontal lobe. The frontal lobe uh, deals with kind of um, our judgments and stuff like that. But there's a there's a part of the frontal lobe that is um, called the It's a frontal cortex, it's the orbital, I think is how you pronounce it, and all that, but that deals with morals and ethics. And it is kind of directly linked towards this part of our brain that is called the amygdala that deals with fear and aggression. And so um, that is hypersensitive for people who are serial killers. So, and then there's also Called mirror neurons. So even when you watch your brain, like the neurons firing in your brain, somebody who's a sociopathic serial killer or into a crime um, and all of that, um, those neurons don't fire normally.
0: Neurons fire when you do just about anything, when you reach out and pull a lever, when you're pushing something, when you're hitting something. But those are just regular motor command neurons. Mirror neurons are a class of neurons that modulate their activity both when an individual executes a specific motor act and when they observe the same or similar act performed by another individual. In serial killers' cases, those neurons don't fire properly, meaning that they might lack empathy and emotion. Do killers know that they are dangerous or do they have no awareness?
1: They're aware of what they do. And look at all the like like again going back to the extent that they hide. Um, their crimes and and everything. So yeah, I would say that that they they really do know that how dangerous they are and aware they are.
0: We were curious to know in what circumstances do killers feel remorse for their actions? Do most feel
1: nothing? One of the few people that has actually shown a remorse was um, Jeffrey Dahmer a psychologist was interviewing Dahmer that he was one of the few in all of her studies that she felt almost like he he was very conflicted with what he did.
0: Most killers are not going to be able to re-enter society. They cannot live among normal people and be expected to behave appropriately.
1: I think it goes into back to right like even more of being aware. That's the difference about somebody who has not a drug addiction versus this like how a drug addict that wants to change their behavior and knows that something is going on they don't belong in prison right like why are they in prison that's actually just going to make it worse if they ever do get out right that that problem isn't solved but for somebody who doesn't believe that it's a problem and they truly are a danger to society how do you get them to help right like even right before Bundy was killed and all of that um, the only help he had for for society was that he led to um, he led to another serial killer. He helped a detective out and all of that, but it was still a power play for him.
0: Putting people to death is not always the right option, but what is the other alternative when someone is not going to be able to live among people? With the help of the field neurocriminology, there may be a solution. Adrian Rain. A neurocriminologist suggests that the lack of gray matter in killers' brains doesn't necessarily predict future antisocial behaviors, but it can imply a lean towards these kinds of behaviors. In 2013, he was asked if he would be comfortable subjecting his own children to a brain scan that would assess violent tendencies. Well, that concludes the first episode of our podcast. We want to thank Mrs. Kenny for letting us interview her and providing all of her knowledge on the psychology of the killer. Stay tuned for our second episode of our podcast where we're going to interview Mr. Dahl, our school officer, where he's going to provide some facts about criminology. Thank you so much for listening to our first episode. We hope you enjoyed. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and that you'll check out our other episodes.